Thanks very much, Madeline. Please keep that passage open. We're going to cover that chapter, the end of chapter 47 and chapter 49 today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would speak to us. We pray you give us faith in your word and your character and your purpose and your plan that we would respond to you rightly. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. What does that mean? Is it a throwaway comment? Was it a genuine expression of, you want, of what you want for another person? Is it an expression that you use in your conversation or maybe in your prayers? How do you feel about it when someone says to you, God bless you? Or when someone prays that God may bless you? Well, the story of the book of Genesis is the story of God's blessing. Blessing is the very first thing God does for human beings after he has created them. And as we turn the corner towards the very last home straight of the, of the book, 50, nearly 50 chapters later, blessing is almost the very last act as well. What does it mean to be blessed by God? How can we receive his blessings? What about when the blessings we receive aren't quite what we would have expected or what we can fully understand? Well, Joseph has been reunited with his brothers he has sent them home to collect their father Jacob. Uh, he has settled his whole family in, in Egypt. He has given them land and food. And so God's people grow. Look back, chapter 47, verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. It's a deliberate echo, isn't it, of the very first blessing God gives to human beings in chapter 1. Be fruitful and increase in number. But what about when death rather than life is what seems to dominate the horizon? It's not fruitfulness, but mortality that seems to be dominating the scene. How can we be sure of blessing then? That's an important question for us to answer, whether we're Christian believers here this morning or not. This is our first lesson, our first scene. Promised blessing, confidently remembered. Uh, verse 29. When the time drew near for Israel, that is Jacob, to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Jacob remembers how God promised Canaan, the land of Canaan, to Abraham and his descendants. And God's promised blessing means for Jacob that Egypt cannot be his final home, his final resting place. And so Joseph hears his father's request. He reassures him, I will do what you've asked me to do. And Jacob responds, verse 31, Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And as I said before that last song, the book of Hebrews introduces the words, by faith, before that. By faith, Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob has had many, many crises in life, hasn't he? And throughout lots of those crises, he has relied upon himself. But as he faces the final crisis of all, the crisis of death, he doesn't rely on himself. He relies on God. God to be with him in the grave and beyond the grave. Brothers and sisters, we can have even more confidence than Jacob as we face the reality of our own mortality. Egypt will not be Jacob's final resting place. The grave will not be our final 
resting place. Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Glory, not the grave, is the Christian's final destination. You and I, if we trust in Jesus, we will live forever. See, to be blessed by God means to have confidence in the face of death. Can I ask you this morning, do you have that confidence? If you're a Christian believer today, are you confident that if you were to die tomorrow, you will be with your Saviour in heaven forever? You can be sure. Jesus has risen from the dead. And if you're here this morning and you think, I don't yet believe that, would you ask God to give you that faith? You cannot, you will not find that hope beyond the grave anywhere else. Promised blessing, confidently remembered. Verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he's not just old now, he's on his deathbed. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. You can picture the scene, can't you? Maybe you've participated in a scene like this before. He is a frail old man. He is lying on his deathbed. It takes a great amount of effort even to sit up. But even though his strength is gone, his long-term memory has not gone. And then in verses 3 and 4, he he goes all the way back to chapter 28 of Genesis, decades and decades before when he was a young man, when he had run away from home because he'd stolen Esau, his brother's birthright, and he feared for his life. And he was all alone in the darkness, but God was with him. And he sees a stairway stretching up to heaven. And he hears God give him a promise. God says to him, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants forever. And Jacob passes on that promise to Joseph, as if to say to Joseph, Joseph, I know you're the Prime Minister of Egypt. I know you are doing very, very well. Don't be too comfortable here. This is not your final home. God's past blessing is the promised land. Keep remembering that, Joseph. Friends, let's not get too comfortable in this world. You see, God has blessed, God does bless us in many, many material ways, all sorts of different ways. But every single material blessing is a foretaste of the greatest blessing that is still to come, the the blessing of life eternal. Let us be confident of the blessings he has already promised, even the blessing of eternal life. And let us look forward with confidence to receiving that blessing one day. But what about when the blessings we receive in this life aren't really what we understand or or what we expect? This is the, the next scene. Unequal blessing, uncomfortably received. Unequal blessing, uncomfortably received. Uh, Jacob makes an executive decision. He says, my two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they are going to receive an inheritance in the land, just like the other, my, my own sons. Uh, they're they're going to have a tribe that is named after them. We don't know why he makes this decision. I don't think Joseph knows why he makes this decision. But Joseph doesn't object, so he takes the the two young men forwards. They're probably about 20 years old by now. He takes them forward to receive their grandfather's blessing, verse 10. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. 
So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Now, I don't think, for what it's worth, this is the first time Jacob has seen his grandsons. He's lived in Egypt for 17 years by this point. But you can feel the emotion in the room, can't you? Do you remember all those years ago when he tore his robes because his 17-year-old son was apparently dead? He never thought he'd see Joseph again after his 17th birthday, and now he sees Joseph's sons who are probably aged 20, a bit over 17. He's seen them grow up, and now they are young men standing by the side of his deathbed, and he blesses them before he dies. Verse 13. Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left, towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. You see, Joseph knows how these things are done. He knows that the firstborn gets the right hand and the secondborn gets the left hand. And so he lines them up the right way around. And Jacob crosses his arms and he puts his right hand on the younger boy and his left hand on the older boy. Do you remember when he was younger, Jacob, he deceived his nearly blind father when he stole his uh, brother's birthright. And now he is nearly blind himself and he deceives his son. Once a trickster, always a trickster. And yet there's nothing especially trickstery, I don't think, about the blessing. Listen to the blessing. Verse 15, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. You see, Jacob says, I want my grandsons to have the same sort of relationship with God that I have had and my father has had and my grandfather has had. I want them to know God as their as their shepherd, as their, um, as, as their the, one, the, one, the angel who has cared for them throughout their lives. And I wonder if that is a prayer that we could be praying for our children, or our godchildren, or our nephews and nieces, or the children in this church, as small children, as teenagers, as young adults, as fully grown up, even for the children that they will have who are not yet born that they would know God as their angel and their shepherd all their lives. It is a wonderful prayer, a beautiful blessing, and yet Joseph hears it and he's not that pleased. I wonder if he has his eyes closed as his father prays, like we would, and then he opens them just as his father's about to say amen and he sees that his father has crossed his arms and he says dad you've got it the wrong way round. you've crossed your arms what are you doing and Jacob though he won't back down verse 19 his father refused and said I know my son I know 
He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Both sons, both had tribes descended from them, both are blessed together. And yet one comes first and the other comes second. It's not the first time in Genesis that that a second son has come ahead of the first. It's happened quite a few times actually. But on this occasion, there's nothing particularly in the behavior of the boys that warrants one coming first, one coming second. Jacob doesn't explain why he's doing it. God is silent. It is at the same time an equal blessing and yet in a strange, unequal blessing as well. And we can try, I tried a little bit this week, to trace what this looks like through the Old Testament. What does it mean for Ephraim to be first and Manasseh to be second? And it's almost impossible to figure out. And I wonder if that's the point. Because doesn't it just feel sometimes in life as if God crosses his hands and we have absolutely no understanding why he did it. We think that his right hand should come down on one particular person. Maybe ourselves. I've thought that myself. And his left hand is going to come on another. And then we open our eyes and we find that God has crossed his hands. Everything was pointing in the direction of this person getting the right hand and this person getting the left hand. But somehow in God's wisdom, he crossed his arms. And we don't understand why. And that can happen at an individual level. It can happen at a church level too. We think one church, well, this church or this Christian ministry, this is the one that's going to get Premier League success and this one will be kind of mid-table in the championship. And then we open our eyes and we see that God has crossed his hands. And we think, why have you done that? And we don't understand. And I wonder if, like Joseph, we can feel displeased. We open our eyes and we see that God has crossed his hands. We think, God, Father in heaven, you have got it the wrong way around. Uncross your arms. That is not the right way to do it. And God says to us, I know my son. I know my daughter. He or she will be blessed too but this is the way I'm going to do it. Maybe we need to learn to humbly receive God's uncomfortable blessings, his unequal blessings, even if it is uncomfortable. I can think of a couple of occasions, perhaps, when Jesus' disciples had to learn the same thing. Uh, Mark chapter 10. James and John said, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, To sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Or uh, this one, John 21. When Peter saw him, that is the beloved disciple, he asked, Lord, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Peter looked at John and thought, he's going to be blessed in a different way. And Jesus said, doesn't matter. You follow me. You see, if we are part of God's family, we are all richly blessed. 
We are blessed as individuals. We are blessed as churches. Our blessings are beyond what we deserve. We have a relationship with God through Christ. He is our shepherd. He is our defending angel. But even in that wonderful equality, there may be this very, very uncomfortable, strange, unexplained inequality. And God says to you and me, trust me with that. Despite appearances, God knows what he's doing when he distributes his blessings. Unequal blessing, uncomfortably received. Well, so far we have seen Jacob remember blessing and pronounce blessing upon his um, grandsons. And now the tone changes in chapter 49 as he is transformed from a parent to a prophet. And in this chapter, his sons, they all gather around him and he speaks to them about the future. Future blessing mysteriously given. We're going to go through this relatively quickly, so bear with me, keep your eyes on the page and uh, you'll see where we're going. The first three sons, Reuben, Simeon and Levi, they don't really get much of a blessing. It's more of an anti-blessing. Um, Reuben, he, had, he was the firstborn. He had all the inheritance rights of the firstborn. But, but verse 4, you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch and defiled it. He chose sexual immorality over godliness. Simeon and Levi, verse 5, their swords are weapons of violence. They've killed men in their anger. That is the time when they avenged the rape of their sister Dinah with excessive violence. And the consequences of sin for Reuben, Simeon and Levi in some way or other are going to echo down the generations. Uh, verse 13, Zebulun, or well, Zebulun's inheritance includes the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus, is, where Jesus lived. Uh, Issachar, verses 14, 15, seems to have become some sort of uh, farmer, perhaps. Dan, Verse 17, 16, 17, he was known for his justice. Gad, verse 19, he was known for sniping from the rear. Asher, for gastronomy. Naphtali, for beauty. Benjamin, verse 27, for military prowess. And exactly how these blessings and these anti-blessings are fulfilled in the Old Testament ranges from hard to figure out to almost impossible to figure out. And it reminds me a little bit of the 12 apostles. Isn't it interesting? Jesus spent three years pouring into those 12 men. We only really know about three of them. And of those three, only really about one. These 12 tribes, they are God's chosen people, but so many of the blessings that they receive are just hidden in the past. And yet we can be sure that whatever blessing they received was not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. Look ahead to verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. See, there may be mystery in how God distributes his blessings, but there is never mistake. God is the giver of all good gifts. He knows what he is doing. 
where and when and how and who, we can trust our Heavenly Father 110%. He will give us the blessing appropriate to us. That is, in fact, what Joseph experienced, even though it often didn't look like it. Just look at Joseph's blessings, a longer one, verse 22 to 26. Verse 23, with bitterness, archers attacked him. Well, doesn't that remind you of his brothers throwing him down a well, wanting to sell him as a slave? Verse 24, the hand of the mighty one of Jacob was with him. Verse 25, your father's God who helps you. Doesn't that remind us how God was with him through all his troubles in Potiphar's house in the prison? Verse 25, blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below. Doesn't that remind you of how God blessed Joseph so that Joseph could bless the world through the famine? Or verse 26, the brow of the prince among his brothers. Joseph's dreams were fulfilled. And Jacob's brief poetic biography of his favourite son reports those past blessings and suggests, I think, similar blessings in the future. God is going to be present with Joseph and his descendants and help them no matter what comes. And again, there is mystery as we trace through the pages of the Old Testament to figure out how did that happen? We don't really know. Wonderfully, there is quite a lot less mystery when it comes to the final brother. And this is where we're going to finish. Verse 9, with Judah. Verse 9. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. See, Judah wasn't without sin, but God graciously chooses him to be the tribe from which Israel's kings will come. The first king, Saul, he comes from the tribe of Benjamin, renowned for its military prowess. But God rejects Saul, and God raises up David, a shepherd from the tribe of Judah. And one day God speaks to David and says, one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever and ever. And the book of Revelation calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so Jesus came, and he mysteriously fulfills Jacob's words to Judah. Look at verse um, 11. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. What does Jesus do on Palm Sunday? He, he rides into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the, in the blood of grapes. Well, perhaps a little picture pointing towards Jesus as the rider on a white horse in the book of Revelation again, whose robe is dipped in blood. Because one day Jesus will return to finally execute God's perfect vengeance against all sin. But first, he calls upon us to obey him, to submit to him as our king, ourselves. The obedience of the nations shall be his. There is a very famous scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's often quoted. Forgive me, I'm going to quote it again. But it's straight out of um, this promise. Aslan is a lion, the great lion, 
Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, the book of Genesis began with God's promise to bless humanity. And human beings did their very best to thwart that plan through sin and wickedness, rebellion and evil. But God promises a saviour. He says to Eve, one of your descendants will crush the serpent's head. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you and your family. And now the crosshairs of that promise are beginning to focus on a king from the tribe of Judah. Future blessing, mysteriously given. So being blessed by God means knowing that God is for you. He is on your side. As Jacob describes, he is your shepherd. He is your rock. He is your rescuing angel. He is your king. He is your father. Do you know that reality today? Confidently remember every blessing he has promised to give you in the past, including a home in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Receive those blessings humbly. Not resenting others if, if they seem to get the right hand and you seem to get the left. Sit patiently with the uncomfortableness of those times when God appears to cross his hands. And trust God for all the future blessings, even if they are mysterious. Above all, let us thank him for revealing the greatest mystery of all the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 9. The obedience of the nations shall be his. Will we obey him? Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you that nothing can thwart your purpose to bless the human race through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Heavenly Father, Lord, to trust him and to obey him. Help us, Lord, to sit humbly with those uncomfortable, apparently unequal blessings. And help us to have that confidence of our home in heaven forever. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.